Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Earshots and Nukeproof, and we've got an awesome giveaway for you that is only for this week, so make sure you keep listening to find out how to enter. I don't know about you, but I've always struggled to find a set of headphones that stay in when I'm riding, in the gym or running. Well, James Bell Booth from Earshots was having the same problem, so he decided he was going to go away and solve it. Earshots are an action sports headphone company who are dedicated to unlocking human potential through sound. Their Bluetooth headphones use an innovative proprietary magnetic ear clip design. This unique design can withstand the sharp shock, speed and functional movements of action sports. I've had a set of Earshots for about six months now and I've been really impressed on a few different levels. Firstly, they come in minimal cardboard packaging, which is really refreshing for a tech product. Secondly, battery life is great and the case itself also doubles up as a battery, so they charge up when they're in storage and the battery in the case lasts for ages, so you don't have to remember to charge them up. Finally, in use, they actually stay in. I've tried them with a couple of different helmets over loads of different terrain, including some pretty rough rocky stuff, and they actually stay in place. I've also used them in the gym and had zero issues. So if you're looking for a set of headphones that you can smash out some podcasts while you're riding, or for some banging tunes to keep you motivated while training, Earshots have got you covered, and you can find out more over at earshots.com. Earshots are kindly giving away a set of their innovative Bluetooth headphones to one lucky downtime listener. All you need to do to be in with a chance to win is to head to downtimepodcast.com for earshots where you're going to get redirected to their competition page. You can just pop in your name, your email address and you're entered. You've got until midnight on Tuesday the 13th of July to get it done so head there now. If you've been on a mountain bike website in the last week or so you'll probably have seen that Nukeproof have launched their first e-bike, the aptly named Megawatt and it's available in dealers now. Judging on Seb Stott's review they've got it bang on as Seb himself said they've knocked this one out of the park. It's based on their race-winning Mega V4, but designed as an e-bike around Shimano's EP8 motor from the get-go. It's a mullet and it sports 170mm travel front and rear. They've made some really smart decisions when designing the kinematic of the bike, optimising the anti-squat to create a bike that descends like a downhill bike, but with the motor on board can still climb like an escalator. The bike is supple off the top while remaining progressive and supportive through the rest of the travel. They've also managed to fit in a 500mm bottle or even 620mm with a supplied adapter mount and there's an accessory mount on the chop tube too so you can pop on there whatever you want. There's three spec levels to choose from. I think the Comp and the Elite are available now and the factory's coming soon. So head over to nukeproof.com to check them all out. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Don't forget, I've got a brand new project launching soon. It's called Downtime EP. And if you want to get involved and find out more, then you can sign up over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP. All right, this weekend's racing in Leger definitely delivered. And I'm lucky enough to once again be joined by Elliot Jackson and Nico Melali to delve into the details of the track, the race and what went on over the week. So without further ado, here's Elliot and Nico. All right, Leger provided us with yet another classic, and I'm joined by Nico Milali and Elliot Jackson to find out all about what went down. Uh, Nico, how's things with you? You're back home already, yeah? Yep, we got our national champs this weekend, so I flew out right after the race Sunday and uh, got back for, I was in Europe for a month, so just nice to have a couple days at home before heading out to Colorado to race again. Um, But yeah, all good. Looking for the sleeve again? Yeah, I was lucky enough to win it the last two years, so hopefully keep the streak going and defend my uh, my win over there. Nice. Do you know who you're up against? Is there going to be uh, a fair field over there for the race? 
Yeah, um, a lot of fast guys. I think the only one that's not going to be there is Charlie. He broke his arm in Leo Gang, so he's still recovering. But it'll be Aaron, Dakota, Luca, and then um, all the other fast up-and-coming American kids that are a bunch of new kids just moved into Elite this year. So there's a lot of fast riders, and uh, yeah, it should be a pretty competitive race. Nice. Look forward to seeing uh, seeing some coverage of that and seeing how the results go down. We might miss Elliot though. Is Elliot going to be there? I was, uh, ironically, I got an email that wanted me to commentate. And then uh, I was like, mm, I think home sounds good. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about that commentating, Elliot. Your first time commentating live on a World Cup this weekend. And uh, I'd say you killed it. The feedback I've seen online has been super good. Were you happy with how it went? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really happy. I definitely um, have no business racing against Nico and all those dudes. I like kind of tangent when I was over there, I went to Crankworks and, um, and rode a little bit, took my downhill bike and like Crankworks was okay. Like did practice and then like went and rode at some more gnarly tracks, like stayed in uh, at Yolanda Neff's house with Luca and we went to core core, um, and that was way gnarlier than went to Morazine. And like, I just want to say that everyone is so fast. Like <laughs> everyone is so fast. And like downhill riding is so hard. It's like, especially when you're out of shape. Like, I don't even think like Nico, he doesn't even know how hard it is. Like what he's doing. Cause he's too fit. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that aside, I, uh, yeah, I got to commentate. I got to commentate the World Cup, which was insane. I um, They asked me to do it. I feel like all the stuff with Red Bull has been really interesting because they've just been kind of initiating everything. It's not like I'm like, hey, can I commentate this or can I do this video? Like they kind of just um, moved me up through the ranks. And yeah, um, splitting the races half and half this year did did that first one and I did like a practice in qualifying with Rob and I was like unbelievably nervous. It was like, <laughs> it felt really bad actually. Um, it felt like the whole race, the whole weekend was kind of like a race run. So then after, after qualifying, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to kind of figure this out. Um, because it's interesting because like we would all know what to say but you have to like process it, articulate it and get it out within like two seconds or else the moment's gone. Um, so what I ended up doing was just like going through the entire start list and writing like two or three sentences um, about each rider. And so when Rob would introduce, I would go in and um, like have some insight, I actually got some info from Nico and the Fox guys and um, just kind of like went through it. I ended up walking the track like three times in practice after qualifying with people and um, really just tried to, I don't know, like give a little bit of the behind the scenes and really like try to do the riders justice and point out some stuff that um, I always have kind of wanted to point out um, some of the like nuances and subtleties of what it means to ride down one of those tracks, um, especially like kind of, directing attention to say like hey this person might take this line like watch out for this or like here are the trade-offs and things like that so i felt like the commentary itself went really well 
Like there's obviously so many things I feel like I could do better, but it's, uh, it's good to like do a performance again, like to have something to prepare for and all of that stuff. So I'm definitely excited to do some more later this year. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. You seemed well prepared. There was a lot of good information there. You'd clearly spent some time walking around the pits, asking, chatting to people, finding out what was going on. So yeah, it added a lot to the live broadcast. So it's cool and look forward to seeing more of it. Nice one. Right. Let's get into it. Nico, you've got your fair share of tracks as well as riding uh, World Cups for quite a long time now. What were you thinking when you walked that new Leger track for the first time? Oh man, I loved it. I thought it was kind of what the riders have been asking for for a long time. It was a lot of new, fresh stuff that was just built for the race. Soft dirt and the track was taped really wide and lots of um, natural sections. So it, it seemed like just walking, it was, you could tell it was going to cut in. There was going to be a lot of roots coming out underneath the dirt. And it was wide enough that line choices were going to develop. The course was going to change as the practice went on. And and it was pretty full on too. Like it was, it seemed super long when we walked it. I thought it was going to be longer than it was. Because um, there wasn't much place to rest. Like there was no let up between stuff. Um it was a super cool track. I thought it had a little of everything. It had some some sketchy jumps on it, but that's kind of, I mean, it's a World Cup downhill. That's that's what you signed up for. Um, but no, hats <laughs> off to the to the builders. That course looked really good when we walked it, and it, it rode really good as well. It proved to be an awesome racetrack. Yeah. What are you trying to get out of that first track walk? Because it was super fresh for quite a lot of it. So I'm guessing it's kind of hard to know like what's underneath and how it might evolve. So what sort of things are you looking for in that first track walk? I'd say the first one, you kind of want to remember key sections. I mean, you want to remember the whole track. Normally when I walk it, I'll I'll walk a quarter of it and then try to play from the start to there back in my mind and then walk to the halfway point and try to remember until the halfway point. So I kind of remember rights and lefts. And, and then as you're walking it, you try to, think of what lines may be in play. So you maybe have a section with a few choices and know what all three of those could be and just keep that in the back of your mind. So if you're having trouble figuring it out on, on practice day, you know kind of what the other things are that may come out. Yeah. Makes sense. Elliot, what was the the vibe like that you were getting from riders after that first track walk? Everyone seemed uh, pretty excited by it. Yeah, for sure. I think it's exactly what Nico said. It was just like, it just looked awesome. Um, and I think one of the things that I thought was most interesting was nobody knew what to do. Like you would, the track walk probably took longer than most track walks because you could stand at the top of a section and think about it forever and never really come to a conclusion. And it kind of ended up playing out that way where you would watch the live feed and there were like, everyone was doing different lines. Like there was a couple sections um, where there was like a main line came out, but a lot of the sections on like the live feed, everyone was still by finals time, like doing something totally different. So I, I think that that kind of like, when you think about what line choice means, I think like that is what it means. Like when the track finally develops and there's still multiple lines, cause a lot of the times like a track kind of gets figured out by finals day and this one, like there was kind of no figuring it out. It was just like whatever you wanted to do and whatever you could do the fastest. 
Yeah. Was it interesting to see different riders working in different ways to kind of solve that puzzle? Because there's no, there's no right answer. And everyone, I guess, has a different technique in how they approach working out, whether it's following their teammate, whether it's GoPro, whether it's people on track helping them out. There must be a lot of, uh, of interesting things going on through those practice sessions. Yeah, I think it was one of the most interesting things for me was um, watching. So I walked it with the syndicate and Greg, like the lines that he picked in track walk, pretty much were the lines that he he did in finals, which was like really impressive to me Um, because like so many of the lines that other people had picked, like I was kind of around track and everyone um, like they were just like way off, you know, because it like you would be. Um, but I was like, oh, that's kind of that experience coming into play. And, um, but yeah, I, I think like one of the things you heard kind of throughout the pits was like people kind of struggling to remember it. Like, and the, the other piece of that was like the lift was super, super slow. Um, so it was like 30 minutes to get up the lift. And I think a lot of the riders would have probably wanted to do a ton of runs. Um, but you just couldn't. Like, I think before finals or qualifying, like a lot of people only got one run, which is usually do like two or three. So there was, there was like an extra element I feel like to this race. Yeah. That makes life a bit harder. Nico, how do you approach that first few runs of practice then when the track is so new? Are you, are you stopping a lot, breaking it down? How hard are you pushing? Like, how do you approach that? Yeah. So at a race like this, like Elliot said, the lift took a long time. There was a a lot of people on track. And for me in particular, I I didn't have the time practice session because I missed the cut in Leo gang. So I had a short window to practice. And if I stopped everywhere I wanted to, I wasn't really going to get my runs in. So I kind of had to pick my places that I wanted to look at, but really from the first run, like just try to get up to speed and feel the rhythm of the track whether I was on the right line exactly or not, um, as quick as I could. And I used my GoPro. I think that's a really good tool for us. We, a lot of the riders, you know, you film every run and then you can watch it on the way up the lift or in the pit or whatever you want to do and kind of look to some places that you may have had trouble and maybe you want to stop, or you can even see sometimes on the camera to move a few inches left or right to avoid something. Um, but yeah, I just tried to get up to speed, just try to ride the track fast without stopping too much. And then in a couple key spots, like maybe two places each run, I thought about a place that I wanted to stop and look at a line. And um, it, it helps a ton to stop and watch what other people are doing because you can see pretty quick like what's working and what's not working and and how people are getting through it. Like anybody, I think, who stands at the side of one section long enough could probably know what the good line is. So it's it's helpful to, to do that. But, um, as Elliot said, like with the lift situation, you, you just wouldn't get your runs. in if you, if you stopped every place you wanted to, which on this track was almost everywhere, you could find a, another line or have an option. Do you think it helps with teams that have got like dedicated line spotters out on track experienced ex riders maybe, or, or, or teammates that can help with that side of things? Cause that's becoming more common, but it's certainly not it's not every team that have that facility, right? I, I think it's helpful. Um, not, not every rider wants to trust somebody else with their line choice or wants to talk to somebody, but um, I, I think the information can only be helpful. You can only you can take it for what it's worth, and if you if you don't agree with it, you can 
you still choose whatever line you want, but to have somebody that's up there standing and watching, um, as I said, like anybody who stands on the side of the trail long enough could statistically figure out what stuff's working the best after you see a hundred riders go past. So I, I would, I always liked it when we had a guy that we could radio up to and you wouldn't have to stop. Sometimes you just say, Hey, can you go to this section and, and tell me back, like report back on the radio, what you see working, what you see not working. This is the line I'm thinking, what do you think? And they can give you a lot of Intel just by being there and having eyes on the track. So I think that stuff's super helpful. Almost all the teams have somebody now and it's helpful when you have an X rider, as you said, because they ride, they know how to ride. They can relate to the, the people they're trying to help, what style they have. And sometimes there's two options that are both going to work, but just depending on if you're the type of guy who likes to run insides and be light on the bike or smash an outside berm, um, the same, the same section could work out totally differently depending on your riding style. So having an X rider or somebody that knows your style and knows what the options are and can tell you for you what looks the best. Um, it just gives you confidence. Like you don't have to worry about it or think, am I on the right line? It's just a lot of times, like I said, both will work. And if somebody tells you, Hey, this is the right one for you. And this is just ride this one with confidence. Just knowing that sometimes as a rider helps out a lot. Yeah. And the, the weather, I guess was another almost unfortunate variable in this week. And it, it, the forecast from the start, I mean, you were going in with, with wet conditions and the forecast wasn't stable. Does that add to that kind of mental workload that you're dealing with? Because you're, you're not only trying to learn the track, work out your lines, but you're also thinking, right, well, what's going to change? How's the track going to evolve? What's the weather going to do? Do I need safe lines? Should I be trying, you know, to ride some of those through practice? There's, there's a lot going on, isn't there, for a race like this? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's It's something that, as you're riding, you kind of think about wet lines versus dry lines, some stuff that's working in practice that, you know, it's going to rain the next day. You might, um, you might think like, oh, I'm going to use this catch. I could probably get away with running an inside, but if it's wet, that's not going to work or just pay attention to some key roots that may throw you off. Um, it definitely adds an element in there. Sometimes, uh, it's a lot to think about and, and can be overwhelming, but, um, I think it, it it shows the experienced riders that can do well in a situation like that. Um, like we'll talk about the race soon, but like a guy like Menar who has so much experience, um, racing as many world cups as he did was just so patient and did all the right things in that situation. I think more than anybody else. So, um, yeah, when it comes to the changing weather and all that stuff, just trusting yourself and, and having experience, I think can go a long way. Yeah. Elliot, do you see a big kind of difference in the way that the riders are, are dealing with that challenge? Are some people pretty laid back about it and just kind of go with the flow or, and are other riders maybe a bit more stressed about trying to find what they think is the perfect line? Cause you get, I get the impression that even with bikes up, there's like quite a broad spectrum of people that are into every detail and people that are more laid back. Does that also apply to kind of the line choice in something like this? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, on a track like this, you kind of see riders' personalities come out more where if, um, if I'm the kind of rider that likes to just dive into ruts, you know, rail the outsides, totally okay with 
you know, taking a bit of a longer route, stuff like that, then that's viable. Um, and then you see other riders who are just straight lining everything. Um, and that's totally viable as well. I think that it seemed like, I wonder, yeah, I don't think that there was a couple of people like Reese. <laughs> I've never seen like so much buzz around someone. Um, it was, it was insane. Like, and it was pretty impressive the way that he held it together because from like day one, um, he was just like on fire. And a lot of the times you see that somebody will come into practice super hot and then blow it in qualifying or they'll do practice and qualifying good, but then blow it in the final. So like for him to, you know, come off of last race, keep, keep that confidence throughout the whole race. So I think was really impressive. And I think that on a track like this, that's the thing that you see come out most kind of like, you know, reminds me of old school, like Sam Hill or, or somebody like that, who just had like this next level of confidence on a, and on a track like this, you can totally ride it. Um, or when you, I guess when you ride it with that much confidence, you can do some like pretty incredible things. Yeah, watching him through practice or the coverage that I saw, it it looked like he could have made any line work for him. Like the, the level of confidence he had to put the bike wherever he wanted and make it do what he wanted just seemed to be there. Like he was dancing down the track. It was quite <laughs> quite incredible to see, really. Like you, it's, it's yeah. quite a rare sight to see someone that in tune. Yeah, for sure. And um, it was really interesting because there was um, – there was a couple lines that he only did in qualifying. Um, and I got to watch kind of the live feed in qualifying and kind of see him do, do some lines that I don't think anyone had ever seen. And then I saw him, he was like, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. And, uh, walk the track with him after qualifying. And, uh, you know, he was like, yeah, like I have my lines, like I'm, I'm just looking for wet lines now and come finals. Like, when I was commentating, I was like, yeah, like Reese is probably going to try to switch to all of his wet lines. And like, he just did all of his dry lines. Like he, he tried to do all of these super high lines. And like, that was kind of what happened when he crashed was, you know, he was taking that inside before the, um, after that seep section. And it gave you a ton more speed for that last jump. And that last jump when it was dry, like if you could, I mean, yeah, like the more speed you carried over the jump, the more speed you had all the way till the finish. So that inside line over the rut or like inside of the ruts on that steep part um, was giving him a ton of speed. And so when it was raining, he was like, oh, I'm still going to do it. Still going to try to take a bunch of speed into that final jump. Back wheel like popped off of a route, swapped him or whatever, and then like crashed. But it was, uh, yeah, I saw it. He said on his Instagram, like mistake number one was like thinking I could still win. Um, so yeah definitely yeah it was cool do you know if that was a a conscious decision to try and keep those or a couple of those lines close to his chest until qualities yeah for sure yeah yeah definitely um i think he was thinking about that and it was actually i think like on most tracks it doesn't really matter you know like everyone's ends up doing the same thing but used to see that way more like Aaron used to kind of do that I remember at Lord's that one year when he did like that inside right before the finish and then over the rocks and then like you know Sam Hill used to do that um 
where there were things that you could be like really creative. And I think that it's, it's cool to see that because it's like, on one hand, you would be like, oh, like people don't do that anymore because the sport is more optimized. But then it's like, no, it's actually just like the nature of the tracks more so um, now that's like kind of not allowing people to do that. So it was cool to see that that side of downhill come back. Definitely. And it's a little bit harder to hide it these days as well. There's so much social media. I think that that inside of the rut got caught by Jesse Melamed on his Insta stories from qualifying. So I think that one spread a little bit. Before yeah, totally. Right. So I think I think Bernie'd seen it and uh, and had a go at it in practice, right? Yeah, like I was walking, I think with them after must have been after qualifying, um, and yeah, we were all just sitting there as like me and Luca and Bernard and Eddie, and we like he pulled up his story and was like, we were they were like literally trying to figure it out. They're like, did he? turn off of this did he like where did he turn was it like in this rut oh like he looks like he went around a stump oh no that was just like a clob of dirt or whatever so it was like a bunch of these like top riders like <laughs> looking at this instagram story trying to figure out like what reese did in this section <laughs> it's awesome it's it's cool that it's got to that level where people are, are you know digging through instagram feeds to try and work out what's going on with certain riders so yeah it says a lot about the sport yeah, totally. Nico, talk us through kind of quality day from your perspective. Like, how are you feeling about the track? Like you said, you had limited or more limited practice without the time training session. Was that was that a real hindrance at an event like this? Uh, I, I don't think it helped, but there was a lot of other riders in the same position that that handled it pretty well. Um, yeah, I, I was feeling decent on the track. I thought I had kind of figured some stuff out, and I think I just rode a little bit too conservatively. I was. You know, after Leo Gang was kind of like a little bit of a bad bad luck and then just some weird stuff happened in my run and I just kind of wanted to get through clean and and I was, yeah, I had a few mistakes but nothing major, no major issues and I just, um, yeah, didn't didn't push it hard enough, didn't ride fast enough and man, it just speaks to the pace that the guys are riding. As Elliot said, there's so many fast guys right now that are riding super committed. I think this track of any of them had a lot of sections that you just had to be really committed to your line. You could come into the sections super fast that were already technical and didn't have much support to turn off of, but you're coming into it charging like 30 miles an hour and then decide how to get through it after that. And um, yeah, these a lot of these guys are just so on it. And, um, I think it's good. It raises the bar. It's this, the bar raises every year and it's, it's done it, um, even more. I think this year there's a ton of people coming to the race. Like the fields are really deep and there's a lot of fast riders. So, um, yeah, of course I'm disappointed. I, I didn't make the cut again and, um, just need to do, just need to do a better job and, uh, and race faster. But, Man, it's such a mental sport. When you feel like it's it, you're on, it's so easy. And sometimes the race doesn't feel like you did much at all and get a great result. And then other days you you feel like you've done everything and checked the boxes and you just can't figure it out. So, um, yeah, that's hopefully uh, start the momentum going the other direction. Do some good good results um, this month, racing nationals, national champs, and a couple U.S. nationals, and then go back to the second half of the season with some uh some better momentum going does it does it leave you kind of looking at what you feel like you might want to change or you do you feel confident that 
everything's kind of lined up. It's just that you haven't been able to quite bring it all together and push as hard as you'd maybe like to or need to. Like, do you, do you want to go change or do you just crack on with the program sort of thing? Uh, it's, it's hard not to, uh, to think about changing things. Um, yeah. after a certain period of time, you can't expect to do the, the same things and, and get different results. So, um, you just have to be, I think it's experience comes into play, what things are in your control and that you can do better and, and make a quantifiable difference, um, and improvement doing versus the things that are just, Hey, this is just bad luck or a unique circumstance, um, but I mean, to me, it's just the momentum, um, mentally is such a big thing in this sport when you, when you're on it and, and you're riding well, you can keep riding well. Yeah. Just to add something to Nico's point, like, I feel like they're one of the hardest things of all time in downhill is to realize like, what is like normal volatility of the sport and like, what is something that you need to change because you know, like this week we had weather. And so if you didn't get a good result, then it's like, okay, that's normal volatility or whatever. Or like, um, if you just randomly made a mistake or like something happened, right? Like you're riding really well, like Reese, for example, like crashing at the end, it's like probably not something he needs to change. And that kind of stuff, like that's on one side of the spectrum. Um, and that can go all the way down to just like, being slightly off or something for the weekend and you could be doing everything right and just be slightly off for the weekend and you shouldn't change anything. Like you should just go straight into the next race and like ride again and, and like you'd be fine. Um, and so that's, I think mentally like one of the hardest things in downhill is one. And one of the things I like for sure struggled with the most was like knowing when, to change something and knowing when you need to go back to the drawing board. Cause I think as like an athlete, you're always like, okay, I didn't win. Like I need to improve and like go train or do this or bike setup or whatever. Like there's always things you can improve, but then sometimes it's just like, no, just go to the next race and do the exact same thing and you can crush it. Yeah. Hard to separate those two and work out the right route. I guess that's the challenge, right? Yeah. And not let and not let it get to you mentally as well. I suppose is the that's the thing that's always there in the background. Yeah, yeah not easy. Well, there's a couple of things I want to pull out from qualifying that kind of stood out. The first is um, is Miriam Nicole putting a pretty insane margin into the rest of the women's field, nearly seven and a half seconds up on Valley in second. I think she's clearly riding incredibly, and I think was the only woman to jump the road gap in a quali run. And we've talked a bit about this before that Miriam, Miriam kind of personally identified jumping as a as a weakness or a challenge for her she had some bad injuries through it in the past and she she's worked on it in the off season and that is clearly paying off isn't it now hey Elliot? yeah for sure i think she she spent a bunch of time like um at the crayon bike park they have a bunch of jumps there and like um one kind of main jump line and uh i think she was just really even though she didn't win in finals like i think that that was the win for her was just knowing and it wasn't just like a normal jump it was like a jump that was really difficult uh the kind of famous one for her is like rolling the last jump at mount saint anne and um i think that is was easier than than this road gap here and uh yeah you mentioned like none of the other, other girls did it like marine had a really big crash got hurt she's fine like i think just kind of banged up and bruised but 
um, Valley, I think was behind her when she crashed and it kind of like spooked her, did a bit of an interview with her after. And she was just like, ah, like I'm probably not going to jump it. Like, um, and she said, like, I've been thinking like way more now that I've been an elite, um, rather than junior, you know, like I've kind of been known for doing these jumps really easy and blah, blah, blah. So I think that that was a huge step up for Miriam to, to do that, like just all week. Right. Like, and I think Tawny too, um, is kind of a jumper now. I mean, she's always been a jumper, but like, I think she's like hanging out with Cade and, and everyone and chaos just like really comfortable kind of flew under the radar a bit this, this week. Like she was jumping it, um, in practice and stuff like that. Like, I don't know if she jumped it in qualifier, maybe she rolled it, but she was just like super consistent and, uh, everyone kind of wrote her off, I think. And then she comes and wins in the final. Yeah, for sure. The second thing I want to just pick up on from Qualies is uh, Angel seems to be loving having shoulders that stay in their sockets this year, and he's getting on well with that commensal bike under him. Looks um, kind of swapping sectors with Loic and only 0.6 back at the finish. An old teammate of yours, Nico, it must be must be good to see Angel going. Oh, well. absolutely. Angel, um, he's always been so talented and put in so much to the racing. He takes it so seriously, and and um, he wants so bad to win. And, um, he's just had bad luck over the years, just with the shoulders coming out, missed a few full seasons. And I think it's just awesome that it's coming together for him now. He, he, um, he moved to Andorra this off season and has been doing a ton of riding up there. And I think being, you know, training on a track like the Andorra world cup track, it's somewhat similar to kind of the, the race that we did in, in Leger as far as the steepness and the distance and everything. So I think that really helped him a lot and um and yeah he's loving the new team i think he's somebody who's really into bike setup and testing and he got to test a lot and get his bike exactly how he liked it so he'll take a ton of confidence from that and yeah bummer that he didn't get to show it again in the final um seemed like the last couple guys just just didn't really have a the same shot at it but um i think he can take a lot away from that qualifying because it was pretty even playing field for everyone and and he was right up there so good for him yeah it's good to see him back up there well let's let's talk about the actual racing and i know we don't normally cover it and it's not not shown on rebel tv but i just wanted to give a shout out to phoebe gale and jackson goldston for taking their first junior wins with really impressive performances did you get to see much of the juniors on track elliot like it's something that as fans of the sport away from the race we, we generally don't get to see yeah not too much um I did when I was up there, like I got to walk the track with Jackson. Um, and he's one of those riders who's like, like pretty confident, uh, just in like what he's doing that, that team that he's got around him. The Miranda team is, is pretty cool. Like they, I think it was a great choice. Like I, I haven't talked to him about it or anything, but I think it was a pretty cool choice to not, and I don't know if he had the choice, but um, to go on a team like that rather than like a huge factory team um, because he's traveling around like his sister's there, his mom's there. And I think just like having your crew kind of doing your own thing rather than like having this huge machine around you is is a nice thing as a junior to kind of get your footing and and do do what you know you can do. So yeah, he's riding really well. And I'm just ha- I'm really happy that he's racing World Cups 
because uh, I think a lot of people would have thought that he would have gone and done slope style and whatever. So he's obviously been like putting in the work and, and training really hard uh, to come out and like win these races. A lot of really fast yeah. juniors now. He looks so good on the bike. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of talent brewing in those junior ranks. Like technically he on track does some of the gnarliest lines out there and he's pretty small and light and agile. So he can jump across routes and hold off cambers that he makes it look so easy that some guys are struggling to do. So yeah, he looks, he looks great. And and as Elliot said, just having the confidence, like you can see it in his riding. He, he knows what line he wants to hit and, and he's not afraid to, to ride across or gap something gnarly to get there. And, uh, and it's been working out really well for him. So <laughs> totally. I think he'll, he'll only continue to improve. Awesome. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's start with the elite women's race. We've touched on it a little bit and the rain had already started to come in at this point, Elliot. Yeah. But was it still fairly light for most of the women's field? Yeah, I think so. Um, I know they came down and I was talking to, to Rob and, uh, he was like, yeah, he's like super, super slick already. Um, and so, yeah, you had, you had a couple crashes, uh, I think it's great that that Cammy uh, is just able to keep being on the podium. Like she has some great confidence now coming into these races, and she she knows that she can do well. Um, the more technical the track, I think, the more it suits her because she's just really technically good. Like you don't see her foot out anywhere. Like she's just really technically sound on the bike. Um, she yeah. had, uh, I think she had an issue with her goggles at the top or something and ended up going round the road gap, hit a tree, was like nine seconds down and recovered to four seconds down and ended up third. She's clearly an incredible rider, but there's not, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of focus on her. Like the focus has been on Valley and how Valley's going to compare to like Miriam and Tani, I guess, and maybe some of the, the, the kind of up and coming women from the last few seasons, whether they can challenge and Cammy's sort of gone a little bit under the radar. I don't, maybe the pressures, maybe there's less pressure from the sort of media side and the speculation. She's just quietly going about getting the job done and still in the leader's jersey. Yeah, totally. I, I think that we're probably all indexing on how the women's field used to be. Like used to, you didn't have a bunch of shakeups or anything like that. It was like Rachel and Miriam, like, and Tracy, like forever. Um, and one or two people might like pop in and out, but now, you know, it's, it shakes up. Like you have Maureen, you have Miriam, you have Tani, you have Cammy, like you have Veronica Whitman and like everyone and Valley as well. Like you have everyone that can kind of make a move to the top spot. So, I mean, to me, like, and, and she definitely has been like getting, I guess at the world cup, she definitely like has been getting a lot of interviews and things like that. Um, I don't know what it's like outside of the scene, but yeah, it's, it's good to see her like handle the world, world champ. I was like joking around with her. I was like, oh, you're world champion, you're world cup leader, you're world cup overall leader, you're team leader, like you're world cup team leader, you're undefeated for the season or <laughs> whatever, like coming into Leger. Um Swiss champion. Yeah, Swiss champion. So yeah, it's, it's definitely cool. Yeah, definitely. Another rider that deserves a, a mention is Millie Johnson. She's a rider that's had a fair share of pretty horrific crashes over the last couple of seasons um, and sort of trying to find her feet in the elite podium, but delivered a, an impressive fourth place. And I think she was the fastest rider through the bottom sector of the track by by quite a bit as well. 
Yeah, it is. It's really good to see her her doing well. Um, got to talk to her a little bit uh, after practice, and she had like kind of had a little, you know, tip over or whatever. And she was just like, "Man, I'm just loving the track." I think a lot of the riders. I know she spins a, or I guess she lives it with um, chaos in them. And um, I think could be wrong on that, but um, I think a lot of the riders who have been riding in the UK like are uh, are familiar with this kind of tracks, like steep, Rudy, lots of lines, like you know, especially in Wales and stuff like that. So yeah, there is a there's definitely a, a similarity to some of the North Wales stuff for sure in that style of track, I guess. Much longer than uh, we get over here. <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah, still pretty cool. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about Valley Nico. She's she's a rider that's had more hype than any other female rider coming into this season um, and last season as well, I guess. And it's not really worked out, you know, for her just yet. I'm sure it will. But she's been quite open about struggling with confidence this week. She talked about it on her social media. She wasn't hitting some of the jumps, which normally, I think you said earlier, Elliot, that's something she would see as a strength in her riding. Did either of you get any chance to kind of see valley on track did she did she look any different was there anything going on or is it just taking her a while to to get to grips with being in the elite field and having all this this pressure and this hype surrounding her i saw her on track a little bit and i thought she looked great she um she always rides some of the technical stuff like she looks super strong on the bike compared to some of the other girls and just going through some of the rough sections or the technical rudy sections she she looks great in that um, I think she's got a big, big crew of support around her. Like whenever I was walking the track, I saw she had like several people helping her with lines and, and taking video of the trail. Like she had one guy helping her that had like a, an iPad that was just, she was walking the trail, like recording the ground in front of him so that he could show it back to her, like every inch and every root of the trail, uh, which I found interesting. Like it was just so much, um, <laughs> such a big crew of like support helping her um which which must be great and like have all the resources you need but at the same time potentially could add some pressure like if if all these people are here for me like i've got to do my part and and deliver on my end um so i don't know if that's if that's a factor or not i think it's just uh she she knows that she can do it she just has to put it all together and the situation like what happened in Leo gang crashing in the last turn can, can kind of be haunting. So, um, sometimes it's tough to get that stuff out of the back of your mind. And, and when there's a track like this, that has so, so many variables to it with, uh, so many technical sections that can throw you off. It's, it's hard to like put all that out of your head and, and think that you're going to get through all that better than everyone else and not have any issues. Um, but yes, I can see how for her, she may be dealing with some, some pressure. Um, but I think that's the position she wants to be. And she, she's fast enough to win. She knows she can. And, and, um, that's kind of where she, she, her goal is to be. So it's a, it's a big job, but, uh, yeah, hopefully she can keep it going strong and, and get a couple wins later this season. Yeah, it's going to click at some point for sure. Another rider who looks to be pushing really hard and is super hungry for those wins, but is maybe just kind of going a little bit beyond in a couple of spots is uh, is Miriam. Do you think it we'll see her kind of just work out exactly where that edge is soon and and take a win, Elliot? Like she's definitely flirting with the edge of things. Yeah, I think um, 
I think for a, for a woman like Miriam, it's probably better for her to be on that side than the other side. Um, cause like the crashes that she's had are more like falls, you know, like tip overs and not really too bad. And so I think as a rider, I mean, it's frustrating, but at the same time, it's nice because you're like, okay, I'm pushing. And, you know, especially for this one, I think the big win for her was just doing these jumps. Like she was super stoked. I saw her after the race. She's like smiling, happy, um, you know, not, not bummed or whatever at crashing and, and losing the, losing the win. So I think for her, it, she's, she's on one. Um, and I think it'll just like, it'll come. She keeps riding like this. Definitely. And finally, Tani, I mean, she's had a rough run of it, a couple of back-to-back injuries. She's had issues with her neck this season that has kind of pushed her back in training. And I think she's still got kind of ongoing work to, to do and to, to fully get rid of those issues. And she said herself, she wasn't expecting to win um, and doesn't feel like she's in that place just yet, but seems like she found the right balance between speed and risk on the day uh, took the win and and it looks like it meant a lot to her and it's it's going to really help build the confidence hey yeah i i think this was uh like you said like unexpected like just kind of seeing her like you mentioned on our social media and she doesn't have that lightness i guess that you normally see with her kind of like around the pits and things like that um so i i hope that this kind of maybe snaps her out of it a bit Cause I think that you can get in that rut and just uh, <laughs> kind of stay there and um, no matter, no matter what. So hopefully this is like, ah, no, like I can't do it. I am, you know, fast enough, no matter how I feel like I'm capable of winning. So maybe now this will put a little bit of uh, extra fire and extra kind of hunger back into her um, coming into the next races to kind of uh, just get back in that like competitive mode. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the the women's category was always going to be exciting this year, but it's already kind of becoming even more exciting than I expected. There's so many women that it feels like can win. There's there's people coming from kind of all different positions and and different levels of experience that have all got the ability to put it out there on the day. And it's it's really interesting to see that battle shape up. And it's definitely a, a few riders that are, the confidence is building. It's a few riders where the confidence is ebbing away. And it's going to be interesting to see how that balances out across the rest of the season do you think at this point in the day nico that the rain was kind of having any impact on the results i think there was kind of somewhere around 25 minutes sort of separating the the fastest qualifying women from some of the other women that that ended up on the podium do you think the rain played a a part there or was it pretty consistent still it's really hard to say um I don't, I don't know how hard it was raining up at the top of the mountain. That was one thing that was weird through the weekend. It could have been raining more at the start than at the finish. But it seemed like kind of the halfway through the the practice that the the, the men had before their, their race, it started to rain. So they all got two runs. And because the lift was so slow, they see all the guys come through. And there's like a break while everybody's going up the lift. And then see all the guys come through again. And in that middle ground, it started to rain lightly and then kind of kept raining lightly through the women's race and into the beginning of the men's race. So it seemed like the rain was consistent, but it may have been accumulating more on the track. Um, it's, it's tough to say. I don't think it had as big of an effect as it had on the men's race, but 
for sure it had some effect and um that's the tough thing with downhill like they they try to adjust the schedule now they when they cut it to 60 from 80 and they shortened the the total length of the rate the the time that a race took to get it to finish at 3:30 instead of I can remember before finishing after five, and it's just way more likely in the mountains that you have a thunderstorm or something that affects the race that late. So they're they're trying to do what they can to make it less likely to be affected by weather. But when you're doing a sport like this in a in the mountains, it's it's tough to to not once or twice a year have something that's affected. I um I heard there was like a couple of riders were talking about like picking doing it like motocross where your qualifier gave you like a gate pick and you could pick your starting time. What would you think about that? Nico? (laughs) Um, it's pretty cool. It's an interesting idea. I think, I mean, traditionally downhill is, is the fastest guy goes last and that's exciting and exciting for everyone watching. Um, so it may take away some of the anticipation of the end of the race if everybody knew it was going to rain and, and the gate pick was everybody go as early as they can, uh, maybe a, a little bit more of a boring race to watch, but uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. It could be, could be cool. Depends. who has got the best weather forecast. <laughs> yeah. Who's got the best weather app on their phone. <laughs> yeah. The me- <laughs> yeah. So the men's race, I, I mean, definitely the weather started to play a part in that and the riders starting earlier in the afternoon, Definitely got a drier grip here, and I think it's fair to say less risky track. Um, one rider who went well early on and probably could have taken the win without having a few seconds having to lie down in the woods was Joe Breeden. He um, he ended up in tenth. Do you think um, Elliot? Do you think that will fire Joe up, and we'll see more strong performances from him later on this season? He's definitely shown that he's got some pace there. Yeah, for sure. I think he's one of those riders throughout the last couple of years who's. Um, just been getting better and better he's super young um and he's he's had these results but like i feel like not a lot of people have like taken notice i remember what was that 19 he got like a top five or something like that at crankworks uh with a crash or top 10 um so he's definitely capable of it i think he's one of those those people who definitely hasn't reached his potential yet i think he'll just keep getting better and better yeah, it'd be good to see him see him troubling the top ranks in a in a few months' time, maybe. Let's let's talk about Thibaut de Prella. We definitely can't ignore that. I mean, a rider who's clearly been up there since joining the elite ranks last year. He had a huge crash at the French Cup last week. He was airlifted to hospital, had his tongue sewn back together, and turned up this week with two black eyes, barely able to talk, living on a milkshake diet because he couldn't eat solids. Um, kind of, I guess, just hoping to be able to ride and, and keep his dreams of the overall alive. He turns up, wins. Nico, how just how insane is that? So that whole story. Yeah, it's amazing. I think it's a good example to you always gotta give it a try. You can't just call it off. And uh yeah, sometimes it doesn't work out as well as it did for him, but man, hats off. Like he looked beat up the whole weekend. He looked like a pirate with two black eyes and <laughs> I was surprised to even see him on the bike. On the first day of practice, I was in the lift line next to uh, Tebow Ruffin, the team owner, and I was like, hey, man, such a bummer about your guys that they crashed. Sorry to hear that. And he's like, oh, yeah, actually, Tebow's riding. He's going to try to ride. And I was like, oh, no way. That's that's cool. Like, Good for him. 
I mean, he's, he's second in the overall, he's, he's got to feel like he has to give it a try. Um, but he was super smart about it. I, I spoke to him once and he was like, yeah, I'm going to take it super easy through the weekend. Just try to learn the course and take it easy in qualifying and then just give it one good go in my race run on Sunday. And obviously things lined up for him to where the weather helped him a ton, but to be able to do that, come off a week off of a huge crash like that and, um, cruise through practice and then just put it all into one run and put a run like he did together. That's really impressive. And he's riding great right now. And, um, he's got a huge points lead as well. So that'll give him confidence. And I mean, he was already getting super close to, to the wins before this. So take away the, uh, or now have the points lead and, and take away a bunch of confidence. And I think it'll, it'll only motivate him more for the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, and we've got the five week break now with the Olympics squeezed in. So actually that's kind of perfect timing for him to go away, recover, eat some regular food again, get that tunnel sorted. And it's got to make him a pretty serious contender for the overall, right? Absolutely. I, I, I would think like, he's got how was it a 120 point lead something like that it's um it's pretty yeah something it's, it's pretty, pretty big. big so um yeah i i think he's i mean he already was like he proved at the first race that he was a huge contender he finished second he had a big stall in the woods when he hit that tree um probably could have if he had a if he hadn't had that mistake taking the win there and then to to take a big points lead like this like for sure he's got to be one of the big contenders but as you can see like what happened to him to to have this big crash and to have all these little mistakes like he's got to avoid that stuff he's got to ride smooth and and consistent and you know if he has an, another thing like that it may not be so fortunate for him that he can just get back and and race again the next weekend and everything kind of lined up that he was able to take a ton of points away this weekend but um, doesn't always work like that. So he's got to avoid stuff like that. That that's, I think he's his biggest enemy that's going to hold himself back from winning the race. So, um, if he can put it all together, like he did this week, I think it'd be good. Yeah. Fair point. Let's, let's talk about the rest of that podium. So you've got Max Hartenstein in second, first German on the podium for some crazy amount of years. Baptiste Pierron in third, keeping the Baptiste, the, the Pierron family going, Connor Fearon in fourth. It's awesome to see after 22 months away from racing World Cups. Uh, and Mark Wallace in fifth as well. All riders that came down ahead of Tebow, but great runs and great results nevertheless. Elliot, how do you think riders in, in those positions feel given the impact of the weather? I mean, they're coming down around an hour and a half earlier than the top riders. Are they, are they just kind of happy with the points or will they be able to take some confidence from this and, and build momentum from it? I think... Um... I think all of them, probably all of them were on in a little bit different situations, uh, not in terms of the track, but just like in terms of where they're at in their careers and confidence wise, like Baptiste, it was kind of only a matter of time before he got a podium. Um, Max is riding really well, but wasn't somebody that you would imagine getting a podium. But at the same time, like he beat Mark Wallace and and like and Baptiste and Connor and and all of these people who are super super good. So he was obviously like riding really well. Um, Connor, same thing. Like I think that this will do a lot for his confidence. And same with Mark, where they're riders that we know can get on the podium, but haven't a little bit. So hopefully, like I kind of think the same thing about them as as kind of Tani, where 
maybe they're stuck in a little bit of a rut. Um, and this will just like convince them themselves, you know, that it's like, ah, no, like I'll take it. And like, I am fast. I am good. And, um, let's like cruise on to the next one and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It gives a, gives everyone a little bit of confidence, I guess it was, it was, it was cool to see different riders in that top five and yeah, hopefully they can, they can walk away happy with those results because they're still beating some super fast riders. It's not like they're up against, uh, against slow people at that point in the day. Those guys had to put themselves in a good position to get that result. Uh, Definitely helped them out a little bit with the weather, but they still had to, to be there and be riding really well and beat a bunch of dudes to, to get that spot. So a lot of times in downhill racing, like the, the weather can work against you and there can be a lot of things that just are unlucky. So when you get a little help from the weather like that, you, you got to take it because there's, there's a lot of times that it does the opposite. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And yeah, the rain did continue. It looked to to deteriorate the the, conditions of the track. Definitely became more challenging throughout the afternoon. And I think the best of the riders results wise on a really wet run to me looked like Greg Minar into seventh with a, a tasty little cheeky gap over a course pole there, Elliot. It's uh it's the old wise man experience paying off, right? Yeah, for sure. He was uh I talked to him a bunch after and he was like he was super stoked with that run. Um he was having like a little bit of problems, I guess, with the shoulder um throughout the week. And I think in qualifying he said kind of after the first split, like he noticed it and then he kind of rode a bit stiff not wanting to dive into the holes too big. Uh, so I think his run, like you said, was kind of the index for the wet, the wet runs, even though the track definitely did get worse and worse and worse. Um, I thought Bernard had a really, really, really good run. Um, kind of like talked about it on the, on the live feed, but one of the things that he's been working on and like, it, it's like not his speed, not his confidence, but I think he like, has so much confidence in in qualifying and in practice that he kind of like holds back a little bit in finals where he's like, okay, like I'm riding well, like let's just like put in a good run. And it's he'll he'll end up riding too safe, I guess, in his words. Um, and I think this was like a really great run for him to he was he said it was like one of the best runs, race runs he's ever had. And I think it was great for him to do that in the wet where it is risky and he did have to take risk. Like this was a track he really liked. So I think that that will be like a really, really, really good confidence booster for him going forward. Um, and I think the other, I mean, obviously like Reese had an insane run. Um, it was kind of one of those races where some people went for it and some people didn't. Like you kind of saw like David Trummer cruise a little bit and then because i think one of the things that happens um and nico you could probably speak to this too but nobody rode a wet track right like even in practice the morning of it was totally well not totally dry but but dry like it hadn't rained yet and so you have to judge how much you're going to push by like what the track looks like on the first couple sections so it might not be that you know, some people are like, ah, it's like, you know, I should play it safe or whatever. Like you could have a big moment, like second turn and be like, okay, the track's unrideable. Like I kind of just need to cruise down or whatever. Yeah, for for Um, sure. And so you're kind of adjusting 
that's that's the case yeah, a lot, right? Like you're adjusting the whole way down. Y- yeah, how it goes in the beginning could dictate the t- the whole run. You, I mean, I doubt any of these guys are gonna not come out of the gate firing. Like they're it's a World Cup final, so no matter how hard it's raining, they're gonna hit the first couple turns hard. And if they have a good feeling, that can carry them further down the track. Um, but man, it's it's tough when you're up there, and and like you said, you, these guys haven't ridden it in the wet, and there's like so many things that you're kind of playing through in your mind like all this one section like i need to be aware of this or that and uh you just don't know how the track's gonna be and there's there's a ton of stuff that was gnarly in the dry already to hold off cambers or to get across routes and some stuff like like we said was just super committed lines and um it's you're, you're kind of playing through all those scenarios in your mind like knowing some key things to watch out for or that that maybe could catch you out and it's 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 tough but um yeah it was you could see the guys that that went for it and that didn't and yeah the guys that did it was amazing yeah commitment is definitely the key word there like some of the the commitment that some of the top riders were coming down with was just incredible to see i mean reese's run is going to go down in history books uh, probably for his winding the windows over the river gap at the bottom which is kind of unfortunate because the rest of the run was unbelievable i i wonder if that that confidence that swagger that he's ridden with all season if he would have made that river gap with because obviously he took in like almost twice the speed of anybody else hitting that high line setup and straight lining into it would he have survived the off camber to the bridge after it (laughs) (laughs) like that was that was something that looked super gnarly and and you saw guys in the in the broadcast getting kind of sliding on that off camber or getting close to the edge of the bridge or like you saw Kolb go off the bridge there. Um, but that just the way that it like was all lined up. It was, you, you came out of the, the river gap that Reese crashed and you were straight into that next thing and a pretty gnarly off camber and then a G out onto the bridge. So in the dry, all good. But as it got wetter and wetter, that was like, you were running it just as fast. It was just so gnarly. Like I, I was scared watching those dudes in the final. Like, oh man, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, I maybe Reese was lucky to to slide out of the crash where he did, rather than going that fast into the next. Totally. Well, and yeah, another rider that definitely came into that bridge, and uh, I had my heart in, in my mouth for him was Loris Vergier. But that was another incredibly committed run. It feels like the guy hasn't really put a foot wrong this season so far, but it's just not kind of worked out for him do you think that's gonna start impacting him Elliot have you had much chance to speak to him um I think I mean personally I think he's gonna be fine like he did get to win crankworks um by a decent amount so that I'm sure like helped his confidence he I think he is a rider that does like ride a bit of a wave I mean as you do but I don't know. He's just riding so well that I don't think it'll matter. Yeah, Lars looks so good on the bike. He's so like light on his feet. He's a, he's a little guy to begin with, but on tracks like this, like he's able to just hold off cambers and just be like so precise with his line and it look he makes it look so easy. Like his run was really fast and had a great time, but didn't look as wild or crazy as some of the other guys around him that that were going for it and um it was just like i think it's just his his skill and approach is just he's 
super patient for the, as fast as he's going and he just doesn't normally put a foot wrong. Um, but it's funny cause Lars is like a guy to speak to, like, is it going to affect him or not? He, he never seems confident. Like whenever I talk to him, he's always so humble <laughs> and like, Oh, like, Hey dude, good luck. Have a good one. He's oh, thanks mate. I'm going to need it. Like, no, you're not. You're one of the best guys here. <laughs> <laughs> but he just seems like he's always so humble and maybe just thinks like, I, I don't know if, if he, he just doesn't look as confident as some of the other guys, but his speed on track, he damn well should be like, he's so good on the bike. He looks good and he's, he's going so fast. So hopefully he's able to yeah, rack a couple definitely. wins like he did last year. Yeah. Troy Brosnan came in leading uh, pretty battered after a, a crash in qualies and then went down again in his race run, but still walking away with second place in the overall. Like we said, it's quite a big points gap, but he's still in a pretty good position. Is that, does he, yeah. How do you, how do you process something like that? Like coming into to the weekend leading and coming out battered and bruised and, uh, and with, with a big kind of points gap. To I think up. as Elliot kind of said earlier, like knowing what things to, when to make a change and when to just go to the next race and do the same thing. Like he, he just had two crashes being committed to his line and, and doing what he thought was right. So he's just got to just put it behind him and go to the next race and do the same thing. And, and, uh, like statistically he's always had, he's, he's a guy that doesn't crash much. Like he's always really consistent. So I think he just puts this race behind him and, and gets to the next one. But I think he's super lucky when he crashed that his bike didn't fall down that hill. Like, I don't know if you guys saw that is like bike flipped over and hit that tree. And on the other side of that tree was like a cliff, basically like a super steep drop. And if his bike would have fallen down, there, would have lost a ton of time to have to go get it and come back. So I don't know how many, how, how it affect him in the points or, or whatever, but if, uh, it's a good thing. That his, I just thought it was funny. His bike looked like it was going to fly down the hill when he crashed. <laughs> There's some luck on his side then for sure. <laughs> and it's good to see Loic looking like he's on pace for the season again, I'd say like that heel injury doesn't seem to be slowing him down. He, uh, he left the gate pretty hard and nearly crashed, I think in the first, uh, two or three seconds of the track, but, yeah, it looks like he's got the pace, eh, Elliot? Yeah, for sure. Um, I was kind of talking about it throughout the weekend that this was a, a rider's track where there was a lot of prestige and a lot of respect that you get um, for winning or doing well here. So I think in qualifying, that was that was good. Like I think from, from a rider's perspective, a lot of people will kind of index on that. And um, But I know that like this rain really, really really like frustrates him um i remember him kind of talking about it in lord that time when that happened as well um and i know he was pretty frustrated this time as well with it so uh that'll be something that he has to kind of you know put behind him and, and cruise on to the next yeah let's hope he can do it so we've got a five-week break we've got red bull hardline sandwiched in the middle of that and uh, I've had a few a few of my mates get in touch and ask why anyone who's a racer would go to Hardline in the middle of the World Cup season. Any any thoughts? Like it's it's a pretty high risk event, it seems. Yeah, I guess they just want the uh, the, the the social media clout. That's what you're going to get from going to Hardline. <laughs> I mean, maybe if you go there and just smash it and like crush the course and feel great, then you'll take a bunch of confidence away from it 
but uh no i think the event's super cool it's uh there's probably not a lot of places that they could put it this summer scheduling's difficult um but yeah that that's a tough one to uh like for the guys that are into that to convince their team that it's a good idea to go right now if they're doing well in the in the overall yeah yeah it could be interesting to see who shows up for sure i um i feel like the like the nico's point like the people who are into it like probably like aren't really thinking like that like you have bernard who goes and does really well um people like chaos and and people like that where it's just like yeah yeah of course i would go or it's like yeah it's like not super gnarly or whatever you know um for them for chaos uh, it must just be an like average day were, riding yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> if you like took like a loic there or loris or something like that it'd be like oh my lord like this is you know these jumps are like not what i'm used to whatever yeah it's an interesting event i'm looking forward to seeing it as ever like it's always good to see people pushing that side of things it's uh it's always cool but hopefully hopefully everyone comes out of it in uh, in one piece and we've got a little bit of a while before the next race in maribor so Hopefully anyone that's currently injured can can heal up and uh, look forward to seeing the battle continue. And hopefully we'll see Amory back on the bike and, and healthy and ready to go. But before we sign off, a couple of things. First is a shout out to Isaac Leveson, uh, who raced the World Cup on a bike that he designed and built, which then needed welding together. I think he had to borrow a TIG welder from Marshy during the week of the race to keep the thing running. And then he qualified 39th and finished 35th, I think. That's uh, that's pretty incredible, eh? Super incredible. Isaac's such no a way. good rider. I, I didn't know that. Like, already just watching him ride. He, he's been living in Knoxville, so pretty close to where I'm at, and I've hung out with him a little bit. But just his natural talent and skill on a bike. Like, for a few years, he didn't race and did some free ride stuff and did some amazing, like, super gnarly tricks on a downhill bike and just is so talented and it's the type of dude that he puts his mind to something and, and he can kind of do whatever he wants. And, um, he got really into making his own bikes. He's been welding a ton of bikes himself the past, uh, two or three years. And he, um, yeah, he designed a bike. He's a super tall dude. He rides flat pedals. He designed something that was exactly what he thought was going to suit his style perfectly. It's kind of a pretty unique and different setup. And, he took it to the world cup and proved that it does work for him. So hats off to, to Isaac. That's super cool to see. Yeah, definitely more of that. It's very cool. And finally, Elliot, who's getting the lit kit award from Leger? Oh, It's man. a tricky one. There's yeah. quite a lot of fairly subdued kits on the track. I thought there was, um, you know, the, the one for sure that like stood out was uh, was Loix that like lime green, um, yeah. Because otherwise, like, and maybe that's just like the Fox Riders like wearing different stuff every time. Um, I feel like it kind of goes in waves where like people will have like some super gnarly stuff, and then uh, or like every everyone will be really flashy, and then everyone will kind of chill, and then flashy um i think also kind of tied for that is is definitely like the the world champs i love how cammy and, and reese are like all white uh i think that's just super rad all, all white in the mud yeah, perfect rain cool. perfect rain gear 
<laughs> I, I thought Tani's kit looks super cool this weekend. Normally she wears like all pink everything and and that's her style. I, I I'm not really that into wearing all pink, but the kit that she had this weekend was super cool. Like it matched her helmet or just looked good with her helmet and her bike and everything. Like it was more subtle and I thought it looked awesome. Yeah, I feel like Tani is probably like the the perpetual winner, <laughs> just like always, like so stylish. Um, but yeah, totally. I did, yeah, I did think she might get it again until I saw Loic's qualies and finals kit with that like fluoro or lime, like that really popped, didn't it? Yeah, totally stood out. Cool. All right, nice one. Well, it's been really interesting catching up, and uh, yeah, five weeks off. Not for uh, not for everyone, Nico. Best of luck for the weekend at uh, at nationals. Let us know how you get on, and yeah, look forward to speaking to you after Maribor. Sweet, sounds good. Thank you, guys. Yeah, see you guys soon. All right, so uh, it's just me and Nico now. Elliot has had to drop off for a very important business meeting, but we're going to hit up a few listener questions. Um, the first one of those is from ODY. It says there's been a bit of talk preseason about a riders' union. Um, do you know anything about that, Nico? Um, you know, you kind of hear stuff about this every year, and it's never really materialized. I'm not sure if it's something that uh, that is going to happen. I think more than than ever, the riders are working together. Uh, we've got a group cat group chat with Jorge, who's the UCI course guy. Um, he used to work with Vasquez and now Vasquez is kind of retired from it. So, so Jorge's the main guy and, and he keeps us all in, in this, uh, I think almost all the top riders, the riders that are normally in the final are in this chat and, um, they discuss any mainly course safety stuff, but, um, a lot of different things go on and, and Menar has even reached out to us in the off season with some questions. He's the riders representative and has gone into this group chat and, and put, posed some questions and left his email. And, um, I'd say the riders are working together pretty well right now and it's not an official thing. It's just something that's kind of been taken on by, um, by the riders themselves. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I, I'm not sure. Um, what would be so much to gain. But uh, I think there it's nice to see like someone like Jorge who cares and knows the sport really well that's uh, working for the perspective of the riders. Yeah, nice one. All right, cool. Next question is from one underscore Darbs underscore one. Is something like the huge road gap that we saw at the Leger World Cup going too far? It has the ability to injure people should we see stuff like that at World Cups? It's interesting because um, it, that that's kind of what you sign up for for World Cup downhill. Like there is big jumps, and like the jump itself wasn't that hard. It was the run in, the weather, ruts in the takeoff. Um, there was a few jumps like that on this track that um, they, they, it wouldn't have been hard in dry condition. And if the 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 takeoffs were completely groomed surface but as the course burned in they got ruts in them it made it a lot harder um they look cool they look they look really cool in the broadcast or um watching videos from the race um but for the if, if everyone's doing it which the men's field everyone is and then the women who are like 
everybody that jumps the jump, you're not going to hit the jump faster than somebody else who's jumping it sort of thing. Where in the woods, in the root sections and all the technical natural parts, you can gain or lose time by the way you ride it. And I think a jump like that, if it's for the purpose of of looking cool and adding something kind of gnarly, a big feature to the track, I think that they could do a little better job of making a consistent takeoff. Um, and, and they tried to, they, they had wet weather leading up to the race and they tried to mix some concrete dust in with the dirt to try to solidify the takeoffs. But I mean, it was a new track, so you have issues like that. But I think if they, if, if the course builders can think a little bit about worst case scenario, the weather's really bad. Like it was in Leo gang worlds, or if it rains, like it did in finals to in that condition, are people going to consistently be able to hit this feature without danger? Um, that, that might be something they could consider a little more, um, especially for the, for the women's field, like the run-in, if it was just a little bit like the run-in, you couldn't really tell. I don't think they showed the road gap on, on the live feed, but it was a pretty committed off camber route. Like you had to gap some roots over a tree and then turn on the takeoffs. You were turning and it was blind. You couldn't see really how far left to jump off the road gap. So it was really technical for the gap that it was and what you saw people doing. Like, yeah, the jump itself isn't that bad, but what you add to it coming in was super (laughs) difficult. So, um, maybe even like a alternative line to enter it for the women or juniors or something, maybe something that makes it more consistent for them. Cause for us, it's kind of cool that it's super gnarly coming in, you're turning in a rut off the takeoff, like that's gnarly and that makes the sport what it is. But for only a few of the women to jump in and a, f- a fair few of them to be injured on it, if they had a more consistent run in, they could easily jump the gap, I think. And that may be better for, yeah. for them, but it's tough to, to think of all that stuff when you're building the track, all weather conditions and the, the difference in ability level from the lower half of the women's field to the top half of the men's field is, is pretty big. So to build the track for everyone is, is tough. Yeah. Fair comment. All right, John Boy Lowren wants to know if you beamed off into space and returned in five years to a World Cup downhill, what would be different? That's interesting. I was trying to think back to five years ago and and what what's changed since then. Um, I think track wise, we see the tracks carrying a lot more speed. I can remember back then, or when I even started racing, there was way more pedaling sections, like the bottom of Fort William. Um, a lot of Leo gang, um, just a lot of tracks that had long sprints on them. And now even the same tracks have changed the course so that you carry speed into a flat section and have jumps that you can pump and tuck. And there really isn't much pedaling anymore on these tracks and the average speed has gone up. I think it's, it's higher every year. Um, not only to do with the bikes and riders getting better, but I think the way the tracks are being built is that they're, they're high speed tracks. And I think they'll continue to get that way. Um, the past two years we've seen the tracks get more technical. So hopefully that continues to go that way too. I think a lot of riders were complaining the tracks were too easy. Um, the tracks were too one line. And at least this year, the first two we've seen were super technical and super difficult. So I think if we can find, a uh, 
happy medium where we're going in that direction, but in a consistent way, I think, um, that'll be, that'll be cool. And in five years down the line, um, yeah, more technical, faster tracks, bikes will get better. We'll see smaller gaps between riders. Um, that's something every year, like we say, the field's so deep, the times are so tight and it, it never fails to become even more tighter and deeper. So, um, and I think it's a product of, of, yeah, just the high average speed. There's not as much to separate people when you, when the spe- average speed's higher and you take a risk to go an extra one or two mile an hour faster, it's not as much of a change in time gain as it is when the speeds are slower. So you see tighter racing with that and then the bikes getting better. Um, a lot of people have good bikes now. It's not as, as, uh, much of a factor as it was in years past, um, going back five years ago. So I think as we go five years down the line, it's going to be everyone on good equipment, almost similar to like you see in, in motorsports where stuff that works is kind of used by everyone and everybody has good bikes. And I think it'll just get more in that direction. Well, yeah, more more high tech, even maybe more kind of marginal gains and all that sort of stuff coming through as the sport ages and matures. Yeah, more maybe yeah. more people on track helping as well, like we talked about in the podcast. Yeah, well, and maybe technology as well to help, like you know the the instance you gave of uh, of someone kind of walking the track and filming it for Valley. Maybe there is technology that can analyze riders better through sections you know filming your competitors and getting really accurate timing and placement and things like that so yeah it's definitely i mean there's technology that can analyze the start of a formula one race and look at how all the cars are moving and what's best and looking at strategies based on that so i'm sure there could be something with the right amount of investment to uh to apply that kind of technology to downhill yeah, for sure. I think like we've seen in the past tracks that are open, like Fort William, people using the Dartfish software where they overlay riders and see where one guy's pulling away from another. So maybe using stuff like that more during the practice session, using slow mo videos of the bikes on track to get a better setup. Um, I think some people are already doing that to an extent, but it may become more of the norm for all teams to be able to do as we go on. Yeah. Interesting stuff. All right. Benjamin Baracus wants to know flat pedals so you can take your foot off or clips so that your feet stay on over the roots. Man, it was, it would have been tough to ride that with flat pedals just because how rough that it was. So like, I even, I even think we heard Sam Hill say after the one EWS stage that it was tough to keep his feet on through all those roots. So I think this track would have been similar to that where it, some of those routes were so harsh and abrupt that it would have been tough. But as the conditions came out in the final, it may turn have turned back to uh, helping you to be on flat pedals. Um, I found it super impressive watching Bernard's run. I think Elliot talked a little bit about that. But um, he kept his feet on the pedals and was pushing into the bike, pushing into the ground to turn off of things more than anybody else in the, in the wet and, um, some, somebody to, uh, just be confident in keeping their feet in and committed like that was pretty cool to see, but yeah, tough, tough to ride flats on a rough track these days. 
Definitely, yeah, especially with the speeds and the and I guess the suspension being set up relatively stiff when you're getting up to those kind of speeds, right? Yeah, for sure. You have to have, and that was a tough thing on this track too. There's some big hits like those jumps that you needed the bike to not feel too soft on the takeoff or landing of. So you had to keep the bike up and, and run it stiff, but then in other sections, you, it felt super harsh riding through some of those routes or some of those off cambers was tough to grip. So tough to, um, to get a, a balanced bike set up. And, and when you're riding a downhill bike, that's stiff set up for racing. It's, it can be tough to keep your feet on, on flats. For sure. All right. Last one. Spencer lane one, one, one says, what is the scariest feature on any track that you've raced after seeing that step down is the, I think what inspired the question. Yeah. Um, there was definitely have been scarier ones than that. And to be honest, like some of the scariest ones are ones that you wouldn't even notice when you watch somebody in a video on the side of the track, just some like natural gaps that have hairy takeoffs that are downhill with roots and rocks, nothing to lift off. And you're trying to gap over something. Um, I can think of one like Val de Sol a couple of years ago there was a section towards the bottom that had a stump gap that almost all the top guys were doing. And it was by the time you got there on that track, like that track is so physical. You don't even take a pedal stroke. It's just rough and steep and relentless. No break the whole way. And to get near the bottom and, and pull off of the sketchy root gap over a pretty big stump that if you came short, you were going to have a problem and steep after it to where you didn't want to come off in that section. And that one was definitely like you were thinking about it before the race. <laughs> um, so that, that was one that was tough. Um, yeah, there's, there's always stuff on most tracks that you're thinking about, but, um, it's just the stuff that it has high consequence and doesn't have a consistent place to take off from those are the features that can be the toughest. I can think of a half yell the first couple of years, there was a gap at the top that was pretty gnarly as well. I think only one or two guys were, were actually jumping it. And then the second two years, it became more consistent. I think they improved the takeoff of it. It was like a road gap on the top of the track on the kind of flow section. Um, and yeah, that jump in Maribor last year, that triple, was pretty committed yeah. as well. Um, you saw it take a lot of top guys out, but, um, yeah, I can't, I can't think of any, uh, Mount St. Anne, that jump that Menar only did the first couple of years. Um, I don't know what he called it. Simba's leap or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that one was at worlds. Uh, I think a lot more people, I, I hit it and, um, uh, most of the top half of the field hit it. But, um, when you're the first guy to pull something like that, it can be, especially at a world cup that you don't have much practice and the track's changing. It can be super scary. The guy that I think always does this stuff first is George Brannigan. I was on a team with him. We were on track for a couple of years and you see the way he rides in some of his videos, he's always going big and hucking stuff and doing gaps. And he oftentimes is the first dude at a world cup to, to pull some of these lines it's pretty cool to see. It takes, takes some big balls to jump some of that stuff sometimes. 
Would you ever save a feature like that to kind of reduce your exposure to risk and just use it in qualies and race run? Or do you want to tick it off and like get to a point where you're confident with it? I would say most of the time you want to tick it off. Um, the more you do it, the more comfortable you can get on it. And it's more dangerous to hit something when you're uncomfortable on it. So normally as well, like in practice, you don't do that many full runs. So if there is something gnarly, you often have stopped once or twice in your practice run and you're a little bit fresher coming into it. It's a lot easier to hit something when you come into it fresh than coming into it two or three minutes into a, into a race run, um, as anyone could imagine. But yeah, I'd say you, you, you definitely want to kind of check that off and and probably have also hit it in a full run before a quality or race run yeah fair play nice one well thanks yeah thanks for taking some uh, some listener questions we'll put a shout out ahead of maribor so if people have got things they're interested in or want to know about what's going on at maribor or who's doing what um then yeah send them over and uh, we'll get you guys to to find out as many of the answers as we can and we'll cover them in a post race from that yeah, for sure. I think they're cool. I'm happy to answer them. It's uh, it's nice to be able to give the information that people are looking for. So ask more questions and we'll try to figure them out. Nice one. Cool. Cheers, Nico. We'll see you soon. Thanks. All right. That's it for this episode with Elliot and Nico. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you to Earshots for supporting this episode. If you want a chance to win a pair of their awesome headphones with their proprietary magnetic ear clip design, then all you need to do is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash earshots and leave your name and email address before midnight on the 13th of July. So head there now and get it done. Also, thanks to Nukeproof. They've just launched their first e-bike, the Megawatt, and it seems to be going down well, with super techie reviewer Seb Stott saying that they've knocked it out of the park. They've got three models to check out and stock with dealers now, so head to nukeproof.com to see the bikes and find out more. There's just one thing left for you to do, and that's to head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and email address to make sure that you're amongst the first people on the planet to find out what we're up to. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up soon, but until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 